This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 476. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we are in the penultimate in our series on my top 10 favourite horror movies accurate to the 31st of August 2023. That date dropping tomorrow when this podcast will turn the majestic age of 10 years old. Some... 1200 plus episodes in our back catalogue and we're slowly getting there on the YouTube count. It's taken a while. I'll never put the archives up on YouTube because it would take too long but yeah we're, we're getting there and this series has been exhausting for me. I never thought it would be so difficult to just like once a day sit down and just do a video which in a lot of respects to be honest with you, the actual editing time is a lot less than what I generally would do on an episode because most of this has been captured in one take, which is a godsend. But at the same time, just this list of trying to do minute, uh, you know, kind of 30 minute videos talking about my favourite horror movies ever has been taxing on an audio format. I don't know why I tend to run long form. In the video, I'm conscious of how much time you're spending watching me, so I try and make them shorter. I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's what I'm doing. And yeah, this, this particularly the back five, five through one, have been very exciting for me because it's given me the opportunity to go back through, watch these movies again in sequential order and really settle down with, yeah, this is how I feel right now. And yes, these are some of the best movies ever made, definitely my favourites for sure. The number two spot is a movie that I would still say is maybe the scariest movie on my entire list. So this is above A Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, above a, a Blair Witch Project. I, I think this is the scariest, but it's not the scariest because it fills me with anything other than the absolute fear of what insanity actually looks like and I think in that capacity few movies have a antagonist that is as scary a presence on screen as Jack Nicholson is in his portrayal of Jack Torrance in my number two pick it is of course The Shining from 1980 I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. I hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. So from what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point, 
during the winter. He must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. I did. I, I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. <laughs> and welcome back. So, The Shining, 1980, ladies and gents, directed by auteur of cinema Stanley Kubrick based on the novel by Stephen King and the adaptations done by Diane Johnson and Stanley Kubrick himself. The movie stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, Scatman Carruthers, Barry Nelson, Philip Stone, Joe Turkle, Anne Jackson, Tony Barton and a load of other folk that we're not going to spend any time covering because why would we? This is a limited cast movie if ever there was one. Joining me on this review, my trusty iPad, which is about to get packed to the side, and we're going to get hardcore and deep into some shining chat. Um, the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence. While his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both the past and the future. Putting this iPad down, let's get into this, shall we? The Shining, for me, is a movie that I grew up with. So this is one that I grew up with, not only in terms of the book, which I read when I was, what, 13? 13, 14? Um, I always like to contextualise things when we do these reviews. Some people might find it boring as fuck, but I genuinely don't care. Go away and make your own video for YouTube, and then I'll watch that or not, or I'll moan about it. Um, like, when I was getting into horror... I, like, fell for horror hard. So, like, eight, nine years old, I was already starting to watch a lot of 80s cheese horror. And I pretty much threw myself headlong into it. I was also a voracious reader. Maybe less so as an adult, but as a kid, could not get enough of it. And it was nothing to do with what the Baz says, which is having a lack of friends. Yes, that aided. Um, but I, I did. I read loads. And I found Stephen King... As a author via my mother, who got like a bag of Stephen King books from someone she worked with. It was basically every Stephen King book up until like 19, well, like 19, uh, maybe 93, 94. And of course, The Shining was one of those books, and it was huge. And I remember thinking to myself, right, this is going to take a while to get through. And it did. It took me like weeks and weeks and weeks to get through it. And I remember reading it and in part being terrified and in part being frustrated by the overall read of it. 
Like Stephen King took an inordinate amount of time to explain why our room looked the way it did, or delved into like a character's like history and his upbringing in a way which kind of felt like I don't need chapters on that, but at the same time would juxtapose it with with scenes of like abject horror on the page like to the point where it was absolutely fucking terrifying and you would read that and then would be like oh the maze let's talk about the maze and the moving fucking hedge things and i always kind of felt like it was a with a lot of stephen king books i feel the same actually um that they can be frustrating reads like very rarely do i feel it gets the mark of contextualizing a character and the scenery at the same level as propelling the story forward and giving you the scares. He also is known to not stick the landing. We'll get to that in a minute. The movie though, and I must have seen The Shining when I was, what? I want to say, this is where things get murky. I, if I did see The Shining before I read the book, I couldn't remember a huge amount about it. So as a result of that, I didn't come into reading the book with a Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance kind of hanging over me. I don't know what I pictured the character as being maybe a little bit more vulnerable um, as a character, which I know is the big complaint, well, one of many complaints in Stephen King's um, feelings towards Kubrick's interpretation of, of The Shining. I maybe found him a bit more of a vulnerable, sympathetic character at times. Um, all I know is when I watched the movie for the first time, from about five minutes into this movie, I was terrified of Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson was an actor I had seen in a lot of things. He was the goddamn Joker for me for like an entire year in the build-up to that original Batman movie. He'd been in... I think by then I'd already seen Chinatown. Which, when I think about it now, is probably more fucked up than seeing something like... Oh, it's definitely more fucked up than seeing something like Faces of Death on a, a on a ripped VHS. But I'd seen a lot of Jack Nicholson. And I kind of knew him as... Not always the hero, necessarily, but like the stalwart classic actor. Like, Jack Nicholson shows up in a movie, classic actor. Um, and then watching him in this and going, Jack Nicholson unhinged fucking maniac like keep him away from me please it was such a such like a, like a full on performance like right from the off and we'll get to it we'll get to why that upsets some people and why it makes the movie the way it is for other people um, but I just remember being terrified of this guy and as the movie went on further and further the more scared I got of him. Like, it wasn't a case of, oh, well, they're trapped in isolation in this haunted hotel. That wasn't what was going through my head through the view, and it was like, they're trapped in this, you know, isolated location with this psychopath, and that just, like, that idea of someone just so unhinged and being in close proximity and not knowing you obviously love this guy because he's the father of your child um, or he's your dad if you're Danny in the, in the case of this movie. But just being like terrified all the way through it. And I, I, I remember getting to the end of the movie and being so happy that this guy had frozen to death in a maze. Um, just being like, yeah, you know, 
You're not sending me to the cooler. Don't know why. Just ignore me. But it, it just stuck out to me. It was like it was like such a powerful movie. And I was like caked in sweat when this movie finished watching it as a teenager. Like just like absolutely like abject terror. And I maybe don't get as sweaty watching the movie now. I definitely don't. But every time I watch this movie, I have that feeling that I did when I was a kid of, like, this is, like, from five minutes into it, this is not going to end well. Like, don't go to an isolated location with this guy. Why would you do that? The book obviously gives you a ton of context. And I want to spend a little bit of time and then I'm going to put the book and its criticism to the side. It gives you a lot of context as to who Jack Torrance is, you know, a teacher slash writer who has a serious problem with alcoholism, who, you know, in a fit of rage attacks a student, loses his job, is, like, done a favour by someone he worked with to get a caretaking position at this cabin, takes his family up there, he's going to work on a book, um, and kind of try and get his life back on track. And like is is kind of this wounded vehicle for the hotel to essentially try and occupy in order to get to his son who has this ability known as the shining um which allows him to basically see a kind of footprint of trauma that's been left and communicate telepathically um and you know the the, the occupying force within this hotel want to get access to danny I don't know if it's ever fully, really explained in any way, shape, or form that makes me happy in order to possess him? Question mark. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's you know that's that's kind of the setup in the in the book anyway, and the book has an ending which I find, I'll be honest, a bit shit. Um, it's kind of like it's probably the most honest ending to a Stephen King book ever, which is like he's told at the beginning. Make sure you maintain the boilers every day. If you don't, then there's a chance that, you know, they'll burst and the place will burn down. And guess what? He doesn't maintain the boilers and as a result, the fucking hotel burns down. Um, so it's kind of like a, an exercise in responsibility. Fuck around and find out, so to speak. But I love the ending to the movie. Like, we've set up this maze a couple of times and then we're going to bring in the snow and then we're going to bring in this kind of Danny fin finally outsmarting his maniacally deranged evil psychopathic father and him freezing to death outside. And that last shot of, you know, the picture in the gold room and the insinuation that Jack has maybe always been there or the presence that has occupied Jack has always been there or maybe in dying at the hotel you become part of this picture it's never fully explained don't think Kubrick necessarily knew but I fucking love it because it's just this kind of huh kind of ending where you're, and you've got like the you know midnight and the stars and you in the background playing it's just it's fucking it's class it's class um Stephen King obviously dislikes a lot of this because he feels that the Jack Torrance character is from the off unhinged and he feels that the nuance is all ruined there. The portrayal of Wendy in this movie is, you know, she's too meek, too mild-mannered, too, like, dim-trodden. 
than he wrote her in the book and he doesn't necessarily even like the Danny performance in this all that much either. Uh, I don't think he likes the ending which is why Flanagan kind of rewrote the ending so to speak to Doctor Sleep to tie it in as a way to appease question mark uh, Stephen King. And Doctor Sleep's a fine movie, nothing against it at all. I like the way it links it all in and he really had a thankless task and actually did surprisingly well with it. But I hear that, but I've seen the TV adaptation and it's boring as shit. Um, like the TV movie version is like, there's a reason a lot of that stuff didn't make the movie. And also, this is Stanley fucking Kubrick that's making your movie. And Stanley Kubrick is arguably one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Like this dude, like just made, his, his job was make timeless classic and Kubrick was like, let's go. Yes, it sounds like he was an absolute pain in the dick to film with. Yes, it sounds like everything was taxing, choring, uh, you know, exhausting. There's that great footage um, from the extras of, of Jack Nicholson getting into character with the axe and kind of psyching himself up and ooh, lifting the axe and running about the place. And in isolation, that seems fine until you realise that the actual axe through the door scene, I think it was shot like over two days and they had to keep, they had to like essentially keep shooting it and putting heavier doors in because Jack Nicholson, I believe, was a, a kind of volunteer firefighter and as a result knew how to swing an axe through a door. And like if you are, if you are Wendy in that scenario, at the other side of the door, having to like be terrified and scream over and over again as you keep filming this scene of someone smashing down the door with an axe, I can see why she lost it. Like, you can see why Shelley Duvall went a little bit crazy. And she genuinely did. She, like, she sought psychiatric help at the end of this movie. Kubrick broke her, right? There's no getting around that. He, he broke that actress's brain. She's never been the same since. Um, and she is a weird person now. Like, if you've ever done any reading into Shelley Duvall in the last three, four years... She is a tragic, tragic person who I think, you know, she believes Robin Williams is an alien and still with us and all that shit, you know, like, like just sadly our, our brains ruined. And yes, it'd be easy to blame Kubrick on that. I'm sure he didn't, didn't not assist that double negative. Um, but it adds to the performance. Like you tell me a character who looks more mentally drained like a performance where you have someone who looks more mentally drained, psychologically destroyed by the terror that she's been put in. You tell me that actress and show me that performance and let's stack it up against Shelley Duvall and we'll see which one feels more authentic. Um, same with Jack Nicholson. Like you show me a, a, like a performance of a psychopathic killer who is as like maniacally evil as Jack Nicholson without being cartoony and I, you know I'll put that up against um, you know Jack Nicholson's portrayal of Jack Torrance. So many scenes in this movie. The Shining is a collection of just some of the best scenes in horror cinema. Like some of my favourite lines. You know any scene where he's in the bar uh, talking to his bartender uh, any scene where he is dealing with um, the you know the caretaker um, any scene where he's dealing with Danny I, and he's just holding this kid a little bit too tight and his eyes are a little bit too wide um, and every conversation with his wife just makes me want to rescue her 
and beat the shit out of him with something heavy. Well, it's like, it just it's it's designed in such a way to just make you feel like you are trapped there with them. The book never made me feel that way. The movie does. Now, there is documentaries. There is fucking, like, conspiracy theories. There is a world that you can go into, which is all shining lore and all specific reasons why Kubrick did a shot this way, the design of the building doesn't quite make sense, uh, speculation as to why he changed the, the room number to room 237 when it's not that in the book. It's just like a, like a myriad of different things, like the designs of the carpets, you know, the choice of white shots, like all these things, like the, the scene of the blood falling, at the, like all this stuff where people go in-depth as to what it might mean. And truth be told, we'll never know. That's the, the kind of, on some level, the beauty of this. Kubrick didn't live long enough to be in an age where anything he said in an interview would be instantly regurgitated online. Other directors get trapped in that. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard Ridley Scott flip-flop on Blade Runner. Like it's like every other year it's like he was a replicant he wasn't a replicant yes it's all to do with you know the unicorn it's nothing to do with the unicorn like there's he didn't live in that so like we never got that from him I also don't know if he's one of those guys that would lean into that you know like or, you know, like go full kind of all chips in across the table and say this is what this means it was just his process of making movies meticulous arduous uh, there are like great rumours abound of him like phoning Stephen King at like ridiculous hours in the morning to you know do, like when you wrote this does this mean this like just putting them on the spot which maybe is another reason why Stephen King doesn't like this movie maybe he just felt that like Kubrick himself was was too foreboding on this one this is for all intents and purposes Kubrick's only horror movie really and it's maybe one of the best horror movies ever made. It goes to show that you don't need to be a lifelong horror fan in order to make something genuinely terrifying. He just found a way to tap into something and deliver a story which, in his eyes, was the best, scariest version of that story. And he just so happened to be right. I recently showed my daughter this. So my she would have been eight then. My eight-year-old eight year daughter was desperate to watch The Shining and we watched it together and it finished and she wasn't necessarily scared by anything in the movie because she's seen a lot scarier but she did turn around and say to me that she really enjoyed the movie and it was really tense and you know like she recounted all these different scenes that she saw in it and what's funny about this is like she obviously overlooked certain scenes because her brain isn't formed that way to pick out the weirdness of that movie it was only as like an adult I actually started to realise that there is a scene of like a, like furry sex in this one of someone dressed up in a bear uniform which, which is assless um, and he's apparently sucking off a guy. Um, like my brain couldn't compute that, couldn't comprehend what was on the screen. Um, but, you know, it has now. Um, another big thing about this movie is yes, it does have gore you know like the the scene of the blood coming out the elevator is iconic in itself and some shots some ghosts and whatnot scenes of the twins being dead you know you know the twins hello danny come and play with us forever and you know like that like those scenes of them in half 
and the descriptions of the violence, but it doesn't go really that much overboard. Like when Scatman Carruthers is axed in the in the stomach, there's not like a pool of blood that falls out of him. It's not that sort of movie. It doesn't need to do that. That being said, it's terror lies in the threat of violence, which exists pretty much all the way through this movie. Um, the, there's like incredible scenes that just stick with you uncomfortably. The scene of the old woman in the bath is terrifying. <laughs> like, she's absolutely fucking terrifying. And it's another one that just stays with you after watching it. It's weird, you can take so many scenes from the movie in isolation and describe them to a horror fan and they'll know straight away it's The Shining with very little description. Um, you know, just like little plot points and little details and the lock right on it. And that shows its icon status, I think, overall. The score to this movie is the last thing I want to discuss. Um, because we could spend, honestly, about 30 minutes like just breaking down the cinematography and wide shots that Kubrick uses, which have been replicated like ad infinitum now. Um, all horror movies have that when you're going in a hotel, you get the Kubrick shot of inside the hotel. Is it like, or you're showing someone coming down a staircase, Kubrick shot of someone coming down a staircase. That's just the way things are now. But the score in this movie is fucking huge and ominous as fuck. Like when you get that for and it's huge and lumbering and all there is is a car driving along a road and you're like, what did it's like when we were talking about Suspiria and like she's walking through an airport and we've got which and you're like, what the fuck? Like why is the music so intense when something so banal is happening? Um the score is incredible in this. And it actually uses a lot of kind of musical stabs along with vision things as not jump scares, but for, for stab emphasis. It really like punches you when you see those scenes and the music's in the background. It's so well crafted and so meticulous. It just it just works. Um, this movie, as the kids like to say, fucks. This movie fucks hard. Um, and it's incredible. It's like, I, I can't stress enough. Every time I watch it, I try and disassociate my unabashed love for it and try and put on a more critical lens. And about 20 minutes into it, I'm lost in the majesty of the movie. I have never really fully been able to understand someone who doesn't like The Shining. I can hear the argument, I can hear the points, but I can't understand why someone dislikes The Shining. I think it is it's just on a different level. It's maybe one of the best examples of the psychopath killer in horror. It's maybe one of the best examples of the haunted location in cinema. It's it's incredible. And, it, you know, it's aided by Jack Nicholson, who gives it his all. He's fun, he's quirky, he's charming. But he's also dangerous and volatile and scary. Um, and even little Danny, who isn't the greatest actor in the world, turns in a really good performance. I, I think it's I think it works for me. There's something kind of kitschy and and kind of wholesome about that performance that works really, really, really well. I I think this movie is incredible. I think it does so much, and in that Kubrick way, to the viewer it feels effortless. 
but when you know behind the scenes how arduous this was for everyone, you can't marry it up. Like, the man had a way of making cinema not only feel timeless, but effortless. And it belies how much effort goes into craft something as incredible as this. Um, yeah, The Shining... <laughs> it sometimes swaps with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not always. This year, I'm very much a Shining guy. Last year, I was very much a Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. So they, they tend to swap. But this year, I've really doubled down. Done. I've watched it about three times this year already. Once, like, about three nights ago. And just sat, like, basking in kind of post-coital glow on my couch. Just being like, this is, this is as good as it gets. Um, or almost as good as it gets. Because we've got one more movie to get to. You've probably worked it out. Um, I've spoken about it loads on the podcast and I've said on any given day it's my number one uh, this year it's definitely my number one once again watched it a few times this year and I'm blown away just in general um, but I hope you've enjoyed this review of The Shining yes we didn't go into specific plot points but where's the fun in that if you want that check out something else this is about why it's my favourite and quite simply it's my favourite because I adore it, <laughs> which is probably the same thing, but who cares? Um, thank you for checking out this episode. We only have one of these left. Tomorrow, we officially turn 10 years old as a podcast, which is a huge milestone for me. Massive accomplishment that I couldn't have done without you guys. Um, but I also want to thank you for checking out these on YouTube. This has been a surprise for me. We've put out stuff on YouTube before, but we've never really had... The, the, the kind of interaction on the levels that we're getting at the moment with messages and feedback, uh, whether that's over on the Facebook group page or via other mediums. So if you are checking this out on YouTube, please let me know. What do you think of The Shining? Are you with me where you think it is a timeless classic, one of the best in cinema? Or are you on the other side where you're like, actually, Duncan, no, I don't like it. I think it's long. I think it's boring. I like the book better, you know, there's there's a multitude of reasons why you might not be on the side of right when it comes to this. But whatever you're doing in the terms of the YouTube, please hit subscribe. And that way you show me your love and support by being someone that is notified straight away when I drop a brand new video. And uh, you can troll through the horrible archives that we have here as well. If you're checking us out on Spotify, also make sure you subscribe. But answer the question, which is the same question I've just asked. What do you think of The Shining? Uh, you can check us out both video and audio on Spotify. And if you're checking us out as the audio podcast on any of the podcatchers out there, please hit subscribe as well. There's over 1,200 episodes in our back catalogue um, of varying quality, but hopefully... Like, God knows how many hours of enjoyment now. Or like, I, I don't even know what that equates to. A lot is what my brain is saying, though. A, a lot of hours, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, one left to go. It's coming tomorrow. So all that's left for me to say is, wherever you are, what the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish, broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>